everyone. Welcome to the third episode of Fully Free with Ashley, the podcast bringing you many insights to support your journey of creating your best life on your own terms, in other words, living fully free. The podcast is going to bring conversation on mental health, personal growth, relationships, eating disorder recovery, and so much more. And today's topic is going to be diving deep into some of the signs and symptoms of eating disorders or disordered eating and some support in terms of where you can look for resources, whether it be for yourself or someone you love that you believe is struggling. And then also just some insights into the traditional routes for recovery and some of the pitfalls of like traditional, I guess you would say rehab for eating disorders. Towards the end of the podcast, I'm going to give a little insight into what I'm currently working through with hormonal imbalances related to my journey with an eating disorder, which will be a nice little segue into the next episode where I'm hoping to have a guest speaker talk more about some of the effects of overtraining, underfueling, whether you're an athlete, like high, high intensity competitive athlete or a recreational athlete who just enjoys like CrossFit or H hit, I was going to say H I I T, but hit is just easier to say. Um, so that will be more towards the end of the episode today. And I would just like to start by saying, even if you don't have an eating disorder or you don't relate to this diet culture is literally everywhere around us. We're so embedded in a culture that supports under eating, like doing too much, moving all the time, um, being a go getter and not really resting. So this Uh, episode is going to provide some insights that will kind of maybe make you reflect on your current practices for your health maybe even if they're non-intentional like you're trying to lose weight but you realize oh wow maybe I'm not doing this in the most um, safe and healthy way possible or maybe it's even backfiring for for you so that will be um, some positive insights during this episode as well so I'm just going to dive right in and start with the mental aspects, the mental side of recovery. Um, So I really believe that true recovery really starts when one's own self who is like struggling completely accepts that their eating disorder is a problem that must be addressed. So for a while, many people with eating disorders struggle with denial, like denial that they need help, denial that they're sick enough, denial that they can't control it on their own. And no matter who shows concern, even if people every single day tells you that they're worried about you or even programs and hospitals that want to support you, it won't be the primary force for someone's healing if they're not self-invested in it. And that's why people relapse again and again. That's one reason why people relapse again and again with eating disorders because they may start to recover physically, but mentally they still have the eating disorder thoughts that they let control their mind. Um, So... Something I found helpful for myself is literally labeling like my eating disorder voice like with a name. So a lot of people call it Anna. I don't remember why, but that's something I read in a book once. But literally giving the voice that comes into your head that has all these weird rules and restrictions of um, a name, like as if you're characterizing it as something other than your true self. So the first step would be recognizing when that voice comes in like oh you can't eat that because you ate that earlier like you can't eat potatoes because you already ate bread today that's too many carbs that's not your true self that is an eating disorder intrusive thought and by beginning with labeling it and recognizing it you can literally speak back to it and reject it and then redirect your thinking 
to oh but I'm hungry and that's what I want and no it's not too much carbs this is what I need right now for, for emotional nourishment and physical nourishment the optimal goal is to have oneself admit and truly like surrender to the recovery process even when it's hard and that doesn't mean that some days you won't revert back to your old ways of being but it just means deep down your motivation comes from really a really intrinsic place from wanting to heal yourself and what happens a lot of the time when people go into eating disorder recovery when they haven't emotionally and internally committed to the healing process they do what they have to do to get weight restored to follow a meal plan to do what they need to to get released from the hospital or the rehab center Um, And then maybe they keep following the meal plan outside of treatment, but everything is still really rigid. Like it doesn't feel free. I never went to rehab as I've explained before. I didn't, wasn't eligible and I didn't think I was sick enough, but I think if I went and I wasn't internally motivated to heal, like I just thought someone else could heal me, then I don't think it would have helped me anyways. And just based on learning from other people's experiences, this is just what I've Um, what's been brought to my awareness so many rehab programs that let people in um, let people in that are very underweight so people that you can physically look at and say oh wow they definitely have an eating disorder or they're sick which is you're still sick if you have an eating disorder or they're like physically sick but so when these people go into rehab they get meal plans made so let's say their meal plan is like 2,500 calories a day to slowly weight restore and add some pounds on uh people in the rehab going through this might might fully commit to doing that eating what they're supposed to every day like not looking in the mirror uh whatever other stipulations there are and then let's say they get weight restored which usually is a few pounds or a lot of weight heavier than they originally uh had because uh during recovery our bodies um crave more calories and the our body holds on to fat easier especially in the midsection of your body because it fears starvation again so this is called overshoot weight so many people in recovery gain a lot a lot of extra weight and then as their body stabilizes and their hormones stabilize and they feel safe usually some of the, that weight starts to drop off within a year or two based on the studies so far but that doesn't mean that will happen for everyone everyone's situation is entirely different it has been well documented though that the overshoot weight to one's stomach during recovery tends to spread out over the rest of the body like the hips and the arms and giving a more womanly uh, proportional shape but either way that's just a side note um the real problem is that once people are released from the rehab they continue to follow the meal plan but they're obsessed with following the meal plan like they'll eat everything they're supposed to but there's still rules like they can't eat extra they can't eat something that's not on the meal plan so it's still really obsessive and a rigid way of thinking Also, just to clarify, when I say often in recovery, there's overshoot weight and then after time, the body redistributes the fat to a more womanly proportional shape. By womanly, I mean in the traditional sense of a curvier body. I don't mean that you're not womanly or someone is not woman enough if their body does not revert or take that form of shape. I think every body is beautiful. I just wanted to clarify that. But luckily the rehab programs do include like cognitive behavioral therapy and there's a team integrating recovery with mental parts uh but i do and have seen some flaws in the system in terms of uh focusing a lot on on restoring weight and 
relapses with people struggling. And then even to go further into that, some therapists in recovery will position the meal plan as like mandatory and then also make comments such as like don't binge eat though don't like don't do this because you might gain too much weight like the fear of extra weight gain and the fear of eating more is should never be put on someone who's in recovery especially from a therapist or someone that we're trusting uh, our recovery guidance with and unfortunately it's very common where they're like some therapists will be like oh yeah, well, your anorexia might transition to binge eating. So, like, you need to make sure you, like, monitor. Like, that is not the thing you ever say to someone who's in recovery. Uh, so I think that's another really important thing to say. It's really common in recovery. Even if your body generally on a daily basis needs, like, 2,000 calories, let's say, to function properly. In recovery, if someone's been restricting for years or over-exercising or bulimic, Oftentimes, people need to eat upward of 5,000 to 10,000 calories a day. Like, literally, like, sometimes it feels like stuffing one's face. Like, it feels like a binge. Uh, but I don't like to use the word binge in that case because when someone's so calorically deprived, it's what their body needs to feel safe again. And there's an extreme drive to eat. So this is often referred to as extreme hunger in recovery. And some people experience it, some people don't. But if one does experience it, it feels like an intense need to just keep eating, like keep eating as if you're, you need to fill your body because you're, you're not going to get to eat again later. That's probably some unconscious thought process that's going on. And extreme hunger can also happen in people who aren't going through eating disorder recovery. It can happen through people who have just dieted, like trying to lose weight. And let's say they were having only 1500 calories a day, but they need 2000 because they do classes every day and they walk a lot. Uh, extreme hunger can really hit anyone who's calorically deprived and it's literally an evolutionary adaptive process to for your body to feel safe so that's completely normal during recovery and presencing an awareness to oh you might be binge eating that might be a problem like from a therapist and someone that's supposed to be supporting you is just totally totally wrong and then just to continue on for the mental recovery I'll say more about like my experience since I didn't get Uh, therapy from a rehab center I wasn't in any inpatient center I believe I mentioned before I did see a a couple of psychotherapists for a few sessions and then I got a workbook that was cognitive behavioral therapy based that I worked through on my own and then I accessed a lot of free resources online like free eating disorder workbooks but I still really credit the introduction to my true healing to my yoga practice and my self-awareness my real, real practice of diving deep into being okay with feeling the feelings in my body and sitting with them and then reframing my habits. So when I would think an overwhelming thought or be really stressed, I think my automatic reaction that got patterned into my brain from doing it over and over again was eating for comfort. That was one thing. And then binge eating just became a way of like distracting myself emotionally. And I remember it was like an overwhelming urge when I felt an uncomfortable feeling to like just go start eating things that tasted good. It's really hard to explain for someone to someone that really hasn't experienced it but I really don't feel that urge anymore at all and I really thought I never would get rid of it I thought I would just like have to manage it and be able to respond better but the more I felt uncomfortable feelings and like sat with them and chose to do something else such as go on a walk outside or do my alternative nostril breathing or meditate or make a hot tea 
or call a friend like having all these tools in my toolbox to help me when I felt overwhelming feelings has really helped me in my recovery process I would argue too that one of the most important parts of taking initiative in your own recovery is to fight back against all those intrusive eating disorder thoughts so like some of mine would have been like you have to work out one to three hours to a day you can only eat one complex carb in the day you can't eat after 5 p.m you can't eat like soy gluten dairy meats fish or eggs like my veganism was a part of my eating disorder unfortunately that's not for everyone but that's just how it manifested for me um you can only have one rest day no desserts all these type of rules that literally ruled my life I reject every single one now the only part that I'm I'm not really struggling I would say the only part that I'm working through is the fact that I'm working with some holistic health coaches and naturopaths right now to balance my hormones so we're trying to do uh, different like diet alterations to better support my hormonal systems but since it's coming from a place of healing and me choosing to try to create balance and harmony within my body the intention behind it is so different than before when I was doing it for like my weight and being in control so it's way easier for me to be okay with having a couple rules that I'm trying to follow to see if it helps my hormonal symptoms so I think the intention behind the action is more important these type of really rigid rules in eating disorders or disordered eating habits that lead to binges because there's so much restriction and when you restrict in your mind and make rules like I can't eat that your brain like physiologically wants it more so it's really counterproductive that's why diets fail again and again whether or not someone categorizes themselves or would be included in an eating disorder statistic diets fail because our brains don't respond to restriction well it's just not gonna happen and there's many doc studies that document it but this industry is like multi-billion gajillion I don't even know that much money of an industry so we would put it all out of business if we just really dove deep into how it's really just a money-making business and there's so many different options and even if someone follows them strategically to a T, I don't believe it's living f fully free. That wasn't supposed to rhyme, but it did. Like, I don't think we need to follow keto or intermittent fasting or I don't think you have to follow anything with a label unless you have like a really bad um, serious health disease and you're working with someone professional to help you, then yes. But I think there's just so much, uh, so much false advertising out there and we do more harm than good to our bodies when we try to try to force ourselves to fit into certain mo modes of what beautiful is like which is thin unfortunately in western culture majority of the time moving on just to provide some insights into body diversity if you think about all the diversity there is in the world in terms of like race height eye color I don't know deepness of voice like there's so much diversity in every single one of us it would be crazy for us to ignore the fact that there's definitely body diversity and that we're not all meant to be the same size shape and there's not one way to be beautiful and even if you look over the years a thin ideal body didn't come into like permanent play until like the late 1900s and it's really interesting to look through like what different eras called beautiful 
if you think about like ancient Greece or Rome, a lot of the statues are more like voluptuous, curvy, like the women have bellies, big breasts, you know, whatever it is. It's just interesting to analyze from a cultural lens how it came to be that thinness is so ideal here and is the epitome of what health should be here, even though people are chasing that ideal with really unhealthy means of doing so. And actually, a lot of us don't even know that it's unhealthy. We think we're helping our health, which is why I'm really passionate about bringing some more awareness to this. Even if someone doesn't fully develop an eating disorder, just so people can be aware of what actual healthy is and how to critically analyze different health trends and fad diets and all that that are all around us every single day. And what people really mean when they say they want to lose weight is often... They want to be accepted. They want to be more respected. They want to feel beautiful. They want to be looked at more. They want to be included. They want to feel good enough, which is sad that our society bases a lot of that uh, on body size and shape. And that's just going to be a topic for the future for like a huge reflective episode with hopefully a guest as well. But even if one doesn't categorize as having an eating disorder, some like side, signs and symptoms of eating disorders are um, like obsessively counting calories, skipping meals, cutting whole macronutrients out, like I'm not eating any carbs, I'm not eating any fats. These are symptoms of um, disordered eating. You don't have to be on, you don't have to have a full-blown eating disorder. These are just things that many people do that they've got grown so used to accepting as normal, but it's just not normal. Uh, wearing really baggy clothes, um, obsessive body checking. This was something that I still actually struggle with a bit, but I did very regularly and was very critical of my body. Um, someone rushing to the bathroom every time they eat or you see them eating like massive amounts and then rushing to the bathroom. Eating the same food every day and having a very rigid eating schedule. Uh, withdrawal from friends, social obligations, things that you know this person enjoys. Um, fatigue, rapid weight loss, rapid weight gain, somewhere in between, or you might not even notice any difference. Um, Another major symptom, especially of bulimia, is face swelling. So if you see someone whose face looks quite a bit rounder or sometimes it like goes up and down, this was like a huge symptom for me with like laxative abuse and and purging my my cheeks would, would grow. Even though my cheeks grow anyway, when I gain weight, I get a bit fuller in the face. I think it looked a bit different when it was um, from my eating disorder. And then there's also some really like odd signs and symptoms of eating disorders. Like there's been a lot of documentation related to anorexia where people actually hoard other things. Like they hoard household supplies. Actually um, theft and robbery and like impulsivity has been linked to anorexia. Uh, There's a few things that you would just never think of that are symptoms or connected to eating disorders too. And it's very, very fascinating field of research. So excessive hyperactivity. So like always needing to move, always wanting to exercise is a major sign of an eating disorder. Uh, because anorexia or other eating disorders often go hand in hand with a really strong urge to move. And there's actually an evolutionary perspective on the development of anorexia. And there's a specialist called Tabitha Farrar, who I hope to get on my podcast eventually to talk more to this because she's written some great books and her whole belief based on healing her own anorexia is related to the evolutionary perspective with uh, including a huge drive to move and eat less, uh, which would have been evolutionary advantageous if we were going to be in a famine. So that's a very fascinating 
theory as well. I can't wait to dive more into that on another day. But these are just to provide some general signs and symptoms and more insights into someone that for someone that might not know much about it or might not recognize what's going on around them for their loved ones until they hear this, which I think awareness is really the really important first step to helping someone. Now moving into the side effects of eating disorders and then the recovery process. I've already dove in deep in a little bit earlier in the episode into like the overshoot weight gain and etc. But some other ones are digestive upset, so issues with digestion, constipation, diarrhea. Um, when one self has deprived themselves of nutrients for so long or not met their caloric intake needs or been very rigid in terms of only eating the same foods, it really affects gut health and uh, this can go on for a long time even after recovery. I really, really struggled with this. It's knock on wood been much better in the last, I would say, six to eight months through like consistency and commitment to my healing process. But it's definitely a hard part of recovery because feeling bloated and gross and just stuck all the time does not aid in positive self-esteem or body image when you just feel like icky. But I believe that if you keep showing up, keep eating, keep taking supplements, like I really uh, love my probiotic. I take a probiotic before bed to help with my gut health. I think in majority of the cases, it does start to normalize and stabilize as recovery goes on. And there's also so many amazing health practitioners that can help during this um, difficult part of recovery as well. Very common side effect in recovery, or actually even just during eating disorders, is um, acne and skin issues, etc. Because there's a lot of hormonal stuff going on, so it can manifest in an expression on your skin. A very common one in anorexia or people that have undereaten is like a thin, uh, thin layer of clear, not clear, like light hair on one's skin, usually on like the cheeks and then the arms and the thighs. It's called lanugo and I have this a little bit. I don't know exactly what it's related to. I do think that it got worse when I developed an eating disorder, but it's to keep the body warm so the body increases hair growth a little bit. Um, but don't worry, like everyone has a little bit of hair on their face usually and like their body and stuff, but this like looks a bit differently. If you Google it, you'll see the difference. Um, I've heard that that gets better with recovery as well. Uh, so those are just some things you might not have known about. And then also during recovery, there might be differences in your periods, like cycles, maybe long, short, like more intense uh, symptoms like um, breast tenderness, more cramps, back aches, because if one's been restricting for so long, their hormones won't be um, fully at their like highest capacity of what they would have been had they been eating regularly so once reintroduction of food comes in the body's just trying to normalize itself and stabilize the metabolism then obviously during an eating disorder some uh, personal experiences may be related to feeling really cold all the time cold hands cold feet um, really tired I know for me when I was like very much under eating I was exhausted by the end of the night like walking up the stairs even if all I did that day was like my normal day routine and a one-hour yoga class I like could barely walk up the stairs um, and at the time it just felt good to go to bed but I realized now that I was just seriously energy deprived um, and then just going more into the topic of energy deprivation whether one has an eating disorder or not 
a lot of the times we see posts or insights into caloric recommendations for like weight stabilization or even weight loss and oftentimes it's like 1,500 calories a day or less and honestly most of the time that is not enough calories for healthy functioning of one's body especially if you're active and this is something that I still grapple with because I still count calories now but I count them to make sure that I'm getting enough I don't count them to be like oh I need to eat less than this much some days I'm like oh I definitely didn't eat enough today so I eat extra before I go to bed and it's really unfortunate that our society has this 1500 calorie need as like a general consensus because it's just really not true and this was what I was doing for a while when I thought I was in recovery because I hadn't, I hadn't purged in a while. I wasn't excessively working out anymore, but I had lost a lot of weight just from being very controlling over my food intake. I was eating probably 1,000 to 1,300 calories a day, and I generally think I need at least 1,800 to 2,000 on a, on a day where I'm just generally active. And over time, it adds up. So it's not like just one day you do that and it disappears. It's like every single day, if you're in a 500 to 700 calorie deficit, it adds up over time, just like um, a gas tank that you're slowly taking a bit of gas out every day and you're not adding more to it. The body eventually adapts. And a lot of that is expressed through hormonal imbalances, like missing period, amenorrhea um, in women, uh, weight loss. But then there's there's sometimes um, a point where people stop losing weight like let's say someone's not doesn't have an eating disorder but they've been dieting and they're only eating a thousand one hundred calories a day and they're doing uh, an interval class five days a week and they hit a plateau but that's because our bodies are evolutionary uh, evolutionary I can't even talk you know what I'm saying so smart and adapt so in the olden days when we were uh, running from saber-toothed tigers and eating whatever food we could come across our bodies could sense when we weren't going to be fed or when we weren't being fed enough and it slows down the processes in our bodies so it slows down our actual metabolism to keep us safe and to keep us alive and that happens to every single person it just depends to what extent this happens how fast it happens how much one would plateau with their with their weight loss and whether they have anorexia or whether they're just a human trying to lose I don't know the last 10 pounds it's the same um, evolutionary response And with that introduction now, I just want to talk a little bit about a really cool experiment that was done a very long time ago, but it's very popular and I've read into it a lot because I found it very fascinating. So there was an experiment at the University of Minnesota called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment and it was run on men uh, in November 1944 and it was a 13-month study and is very well cited and there was really rapid deterioration and strange kind of really odd behavioral changes in the subjects and even long-lasting effects of this basically a semi-starvation diet and the studies the study itself basically teaches us a lot about what happens to the body when one diets so the people in the study weren't starved or like no calories per day they were first started with like a regular schedule which was about uh, I think it was three three thousand yeah three thousand two hundred a day calories a day and then after doing that for twelve a twelve week control period the men were only fed sixteen hundred calories a day so about cut in half and when this happened the men started to act a bit very different 
and they reported a decline in their energy, um, their individual motivation. Uh, they were irritated, grumpy. They would stand in line like waiting for food and be like insanely hungry. They were annoyed at each other's voices and loud noises, especially when they were eating. Um, I relate to that when I was very underweight. I couldn't handle uh, very public places, loud noises, parties. I didn't really want anything related to big social events. Um, they did things like held the food in their mouth for a lot longer without swallowing. Uh, just different different actions that you wouldn't normally see. They also, some men began obsessively collecting like recipes and staying up all night reading cookbooks uh, they found themselves completely overwhelmed and just obsessed with food when they weren't getting enough of it. Um, some even purchased extra food or stole food. Uh, some started guzzling water, like just drinking, drinking water to make them feel fuller. This one really hits home for me. Uh, well, first, some other ones took up smoking, but the next one, actually, when I when I read it, I'm just like, wow, that was literally me for the last like over five years. They chewed up to 30 packs of gum a day. And I never chewed 30 packs of gum a day, but I was a gum addict. I literally could not go a day without having a pack of five gum and probably eating the whole pack. And like, it was kind of a joke among my friends and family, but I know it was because I was not eating enough and I just wanted to chew something and have like sugar. Um, yeah, their sexual desires went away. Romances just didn't, didn't blossom anymore. There was no interest. At the end of this semi-starvation diet, there was a rehabilitation period and it was about 20 weeks and there was actually even more surprising things that happened. Although they started to physically gain weight back, the mental states were like worse. There was more aggression, more violence, weird habits like licking plates and hoarding food. Um, but then a few months later, it was about three months later, their behavior stabilized, but many continued to eat more. Um, like eating more more often eating to the point of sickness binging and that's because the body thought thinks it's going to be starved again so it just does whatever it can uh one man ate so much and he was hospitalized and he needed his stomach pumped um and the ironic thing was that after the restoration period mo a lot of the men were like very very lean like if you look up photos their ribs were showing um from eating that many calories um, but then as they started to eat more and then after the stabilization months happened, most of them returned to their pre, pre semi-starvation diet body size, even with eating all that extra, um, they returned to what their general like set point average weight, which is what most of our bodies do after we start to nourish it and feed it properly and rest. And it's really crazy if you think about it because how often do you hear like, oh, when I lose the 10 pounds or how often do you tell yourself this? When I lose the 10 pounds, I'll buy the dress, I'll go on the vacation, I'll do this. Like, yeah, it might be those thoughts that are holding people back from doing things that they think they'll be better at or feel better doing when they have their perfect body. But like holding back and um, isolating oneself and stuff actually is correlated to restricting whether one has an eating disorder or not. So we're really preventing ourselves from living our best lives when we're dieting, period. Ironically, during this um, <clears throat> Minnesota starvation experiment, uh, the refeeding period, there was actually a 10% increase in 
overshoot weight so the men gained a little bit of weight but after stabilizing and regularly eating the calories that their body needed their body returned to their previous size too which again might not happen for every single person but it's very fascinating scientific insight from an actual study which obviously wouldn't be replicated today because ethically it's just not right to do that to people but it provided very valuable insights into some of the uh, mental aspects of semi-starvation or starvation that one would experience the difference is with an eating disorder especially intense anorexia the participant doesn't want to refuel so often at the start they need to be forced to to eat and to follow a meal plan to gain the weight back and to start to stabilize how time flies i can't believe i've already been talking for 32 minutes i feel like this episode was a bit rambly but i did just really want to cover all aspects of um mental emotional and physical recovery that related to my experience and just the general experience of those that I have connected with or uh read about and then just some insight into where this podcast is going with diet culture because I want to tackle that head on and then now just to end the podcast I I wrote down some of my recovery tips because I wanted to make sure I didn't forget anything and this is for people that are uh have accepted that they need support and are ready to commit to their healing so first I really think telling people that you love and trust that you need support is very valuable so not just randomly texting that but saying like hey do you have time to connect maybe sit down with me I want to talk to you about something that I'm struggling with and then also providing examples of how they can be of support for you because some people don't know like I I know a lot of people have had my best intentions in mind but I didn't like um I still don't like when people question um my eating even if it's from a place of care like I don't need to be questioned because I'm very self-aware I just feel like that's kind of condescending but I know it's coming from a loving place so instead of just saying I need help telling the people that you love what help would look like and how they can help you is very important and then moving on looking up resources in your own area for help so there's sometimes group drop-in psychotherapy programs for like a wide variety of mental health issues sometimes there's actually specific eating disorder issues Um, there's discounted therapy uh, through therapists that are still completing their degrees Um, so you you can check out um, google in your area and then also check out your benefits in terms of if you have coverages for from your workplace for some mental health support next i really believe unfollowing social media accounts that are solely aesthetically based and seem very shallow to be a very valuable part of recovery i unfollowed a lot of accounts like even if they're fitness based and like seem to promote positivity but it's very much based on how their body looks like super lean super ripped uh i just don't find following those accounts helpful i think it provokes comparison and i already know a lot about training myself i don't need to follow their specific 20 minute video that they posted for a workout so i really am selective with who i follow now and i want them to be really authentic uh number four i wrote down was cognitive behavioral therapy so although i only went to a couple of those sessions i did a lot of the self-work through that type of uh therapy and i found it extremely helpful another A recommendation I have is to stop exercise if it's a huge component of your eating disorder and by that I don't mean sit down on the couch all day I just mean stop doing the exercise that you're doing that is a chore to you 
or at least decrease it and then eventually move towards stopping it. So for me, mine was excessive cardio and the gym and I took a year off the gym. I didn't want to do anything to do with the gym or weightlifting or anything. Unfortunately, that was only semi-recovery for me because that was when I started to get obsessive about exactly what I would eat. But I think everything happened in like different timing in terms of my recovery journey. And now I only work out when it's fun. So I really enjoy feeling strong. So I like doing a leg day or two a week. I barely do machine cardio unless I really want like some extra buzz and it's not part of my routine anymore. Uh, I don't have a weekly schedule anymore. I used to have like this day's leg day, this day's leg day, this day's cardio day. I don't do that. I literally do what I feel like. And that looks like ebbs and flows for me. Sometimes, let's say in the winter, I want to do yoga like five days in a row. I do that. And then this summer, the last like month, I have been less inclined to do hot yoga. And I'm totally okay with that. I've been doing trail walks and the gym. And I've really fallen in love with learning how to dance at dance hall classes. And then I include some yoga just at home before bed right now. Like your structure and variety in your life is so important for your mental health. Uh... Another huge recommendation is to stabilize your sleep schedule. I find I feel the best when I'm in bed by 10 to 10.30 and wake up the same time every morning. I have been failing at that lately. I've been going to bed very late. However, most of the time I'm not waking up that early, so I'm still getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night, and I need that. Like If I get less than that, I totally feel different. I feel like I crave more sweets, which is related to um, insulin and cortisol levels in your body. They they um they change when you don't sleep enough so it's very important for your hormonal balance and recovery to stabilize your sleep um then the next one I have is identifying your triggers so like I said before when I was feeling uncomfortable feelings um reaching into my toolbox and responding differently triggers for me are sometimes arguments anxiety uh physical working physical sorry physical worrying um overtraining when I had exams and stuff that was a really big emotional trigger for me So just being able to have things ready to help you cope with um, hard feelings when you can identify your triggers is very powerful. Which moves into like making an action plan for when you're triggered, like choosing to do something else. I also really am passionate about working with a naturopath or health practitioner to help you work through your hormonal balances or gut issues or whatever it is you're going through. Uh, which is what I said I'm doing right now and that will lead into the next episode where I hopefully have a specialist on here going through some insights into my journey right now in recovery and then also um, just what happens when we overtrain, underfuel, and how our body adapts. I think that will be such a fascinating episode to tune into. Um, so yay for that. And then journaling and reflecting, I find very, very powerful. I actually write a gratitude journal every morning I wake up. Usually have a little protein uh, bar with my coffee just when I first get up and then write three things that I'm grateful for and sit in solitude. I find that routine very, uh, very calming for me to start every single day. And I basically take that routine with me even when I travel. I do the same thing. Uh, and then one of the last tips that I have is throw away your skinny clothes. So the clothes that you think you'll one day fit into or the clothes that you base your worth on, throw them away. You don't need them. You need new clothes that support your healthy, fully nourished, beautiful body at any size where you're eating to support your body's movements, your activities, your mental health, your relationships, 
your clear skin, your happy days. You need clothes for that body, not the body where you're restricting, hiding, don't feel good enough, and will never feel good enough. And then the last recommendation that I have is set boundaries and say no more. So stand up for yourself, say no when something doesn't serve you, let someone know that you can't help them with that favor, you're overwhelmed, you need a self-care day, whatever that looks like. Just get more used to standing up for yourself and telling people what you need to be supported in every single way. I just want to thank you all so much for taking the time to listen to episode three. Can't believe I'm already done episode three. Wow. And I know it was very sporadic and went all over the place, but I hope it provided some insight whether you're someone that struggles with uh, an eating disorder, disordered eating, uh, being drawn into diet culture, uh, or you just know someone who's struggling. I hope it provided some helpful insights into recovery and what it looks like from many different vantage points. I'm extremely excited already to record the next episode, so stay tuned for that. And please, please, please give me any feedback you have. I super appreciate all feedback, whether it's good, bad, happy, sad, whatever it is, I'd love to hear from you. And please also don't hesitate to reach out to me. I've made some great connections from strangers and also just old friends I really didn't know were struggling with, uh, with some of the same things that I've struggled with. So I think it's just so powerful for us to connect. So please don't be shy. So yay. That's it. Thank you all so much and see you soon.